time. Not long in the future. There will be a place not far from here. We will join. We will come together. We will rise. We will fight. And we will win. Let's go till we run. Out of the tunnel this afternoon, Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. will not play in Saturday night's season opener against Miami of Ohio. Coach Mark Stoops says multiple game suspensions will result for the Wildcats' leading rusher. He pleaded guilty this summer to driving under the influence and other charges following an arrest in May. Meanwhile, mum's the word in Baton Rouge. LSU coach Brian Kelly says he knows who will start at quarterback when the Tigers open the season against Florida State, that game Sunday in New Orleans. But no, he's just not willing to share with you just yet who it is. Haynes King will be Texas A&M's starting quarterback when it opens the season on September 3rd against Sam Houston. King beat out LSU transfer Max Johnson and five-star recruit Connor Wegman. And with that, we say hello. The season is underway finally. Wendy Nick, Sam Macho, and Greg McElroy. And stop me if you've seen this movie before, but sadly, Nebraska has found a way to lose another close game. It was across the Atlantic, Nebraska, and Northwestern, trailing by three at halftime. They stormed out of the gate. Two touchdowns in the first six minutes. Then what happened next, though, changed things. Presumably going for the jugular, Frost opted for what could only be described as a head-scratching onside kick to try to catch the wild cards off guard. I made that call, so that's on me. You know, at, the, at that point in the game, I thought all the momentum was on our side. I thought if we got it, we could end the game. You, you can't really foresee them scoring 14 straight uh, and us sputtering after we'd played well to start the second half on offense. So, again, those are excuses. If I had it over, I wouldn't make the call. If things don't go, start going in the right direction, is there any point in time where you would consider stepping down? No, absolutely not. Um, I love Nebraska. I'm going to fight, fight with the guys uh, as long as I can fight. Well, Frost says he will continue to fight, but it does appear to be an uphill battle. The Huskers are just 5-21 and 21 in one-score games during his tenure in Lincoln. That is the worst record in the FBS over that span. And that's what's so frustrating, I'm sure, for Cornhusker fans, Sam, is that there's been oh so close, but so many times they've come up short. How much of this loss is on Frost? I wouldn't put a lot of this loss on Scott Frost, to be honest. I get it. Hindsight is 20-20. And so you look at that onside kick that was supposed to be a surprise on kick that didn't actually work out. And if anything, I'd give kudos to Andrew Clare, who was a frontline player, the six-year senior, the transfer right second year. He, he, he played the play perfectly. Most frontline players are running away and going to, going to get into their coverage. But he watched the ball off the tee, and he recovered it. That's called a heads-up play. That's why he's one of the captains of this football team. There was actually a gap between the center on the front line and the tackle. The guard was back. So I don't hate the play call. Obviously, in hindsight, it looks like a bad call. Uh, but it wasn't just that play call. You saw in the fourth quarter, Northwestern ran it 15 straight times. And so uh, Nebraska couldn't stop the run either. And so I think th that combination was why, why North North Northwestern won the game. Well, what I'm trying to figure out is why is there so much attention being paid 
to the onside kick, and the attention is not being paid to the struggles that Nebraska had both along the line of scrimmage offensively and defensively because that's where my concern has arisen. I'm not concerned about the fact that Scott Frost made a mistake by trying that onside kick. It was aggressive, it was unnecessary, and he'll pay the piper for it down the road. But what can't get fixed overnight is the fact that your offensive and defensive lines got flat out pushed around. You think about that defensive line in particular. That was supposed to be a proud group. That front seven defensively, a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. You're going to give 527 total yards to Northwestern. You're going to fail to get a pass rush all game long. You couldn't get to Ryan Linsky hat all day. And you're going to allow Northwestern to have their first 300-yard passing and 200-yard rushing game since 2017. That's concerning. And then on the other side of the ball, you're going to tell me you're going to rush for 65 yards on 30 carries? That's against Northwestern, y'all. We're not talking about Wisconsin or against Iowa or against even Minnesota. It's against Northwestern. And to average 2.16 yards per carry is not going to be good enough in the Big Ten. And, of course, that's excluding the long run that they had there at the beginning of the second quarter. So you take that out, it was a terrible performance by the offensive line as well. So they got a lot to figure out. And toughness and physicality on both lines of scrimmage, Sam, is something that will not get fixed overnight. Yeah, and let's give Northwestern some credit as well. It's the beginning of the season. We don't know who's who. A couple years ago, Northwestern had it was it was a really good team. Last year, they struggled three and nine. We get that, but or it might have been even a worse than that. But we we don't. Northwestern might be for real. Put it that way, right? Their goal was to run the ball down Nebraska's throat, and they did that. Evan Hall alone had 119 rushing yards, and so um, so that's kind of part one. And then part two, even though you have a week zero loss, you get a chance to recover week one. You don't have a bye week like Northwestern. You could win North Dakota. You can beat Georgia Southern. Now you're 2-1 going to Oklahoma. Let's say you lose at Oklahoma. You could still beat Indiana and Rutgers. And so it feels like all is lost. All is not lost for the, for the Nebraska Huskers. Sam, you know what? I would agree with you that it is far too soon to judge Northwestern. We don't know, but sadly what we do know is that Nebraska has now lost seven straight and there is no seat uh, perhaps hotter for a head coach than Scott Frost. His buyout, by the way, drops to about $8 million on October 1st. So I think that's a distinctive date to keep an eye on. Meanwhile, we'll travel back across the Atlantic. We go from Dublin to Chapel Hill, a new star in Drake May. The redshirt freshman led the Hills to a big win, the first UNC quarterback to throw for five touchdowns in the first game of the season and the first to throw for five touchdowns in his first career start. Uh, there were some question marks going in. Greg, what's the takeaway from UNC's win over the weekend? Well, North Carolina's going to be fine offensively. Not only was Drake May excellent, he was efficient and did so in weather that was not conducive to being accurate throwing the football. I thought he was really, really solid in rain and in stops and starts. There were some things that he had to overcome and did a beautiful job. I also think a lot of us were worried about running back. Marion Hampton's going to be awesome. He's the first UNC player with 100-plus rushing yards and multiple rushing touchdowns in the season opener since 2004. Plus, the first UNC freshman to rush for multiple touchdowns since Michael Carter did it five years ago. We all know how good Michael Carter became. So I'm not worried about their offense. It's their defense. FAMU just scored 20-plus for the first time ever against an FBS opponent. Gene Chizik was brought in to fix that defense, but it's clearly not going to happen overnight because, Sam, that defensive performance left an awful lot to be desired. 
Yeah, especially in the first half. I mean, looking at the first half, it was 21-14 with a few seconds left. And obviously, Northwestern got that late touchdown at the end of the game. But I was a little bit concerned, yes, defensively, but also offensively as well. And I get it. Uh, Drake May was his first start, but there were some throws that he missed that you sure, you sh- I'm sure he'd like to have back, especially with Josh Downs routing people up and being open. And so, f- for me, offensively, yes, you'll be fine. But defensively, you're going to have to find some answers because FAMU uh, really showed some weaknesses and exposed some weaknesses in North Carolina. May's five passing scores, by the way, the most by any UNC player in their first start. So, again, a lot to build on offensively. The question perhaps in the defense. Let's talk about Florida State for just a minute because for the first time since 2016, they won a season opener. They broke the five-game losing skid big time, pummeling Duquesne. Uh, It was the earliest game ever played at Dope Campbell Stadium. So, so far, so good. And it's an early start for Florida State. Nevertheless, uh, this is what they'd like to see rather than the contrary. Sam, uh, what does this mean for the Seminoles? Well, this is a huge win, and people are going to say Florida State beating Duquesne, huge win, FCS program. It's a huge win. Last year, Florida State lost to Jacksonville State, which is an FCS program as well, and so you can never take winning in college football for granted. I was mostly impressed by Jordan Travis. Yes, not just his ability to pass the ball, but there were a couple times in the end zone, he was willing to, as I say, stick his face in the fan, right? He ran for a touchdown in the middle of a lot of mess, and so I, I was impressed by that specifically. I was impressed by his willingness to continue to lead his team and say, hey, I'm going to be a part of this thing too. So Florida State beat UK. No one is writing home about it, but you should be excited about it because it shows massive improvement from how Florida State started the season last year. Defensively, they were exactly what they needed to be. I'm not sure I've found uh, an adequate replacement for Jermaine Johnson yet, but hey, hopefully that guy will emerge. Here in the next couple weeks, inside out, they were rock solid, I think, on all three levels defensively. Offensively, they can go three deep at running back, which is massive. We all know about Treshawn Ward. We all know about Lawrence Toafili. But now the emergence of Trey Benson, I think, too, makes that running back room very, very scary. And you referenced it, Sam. If Travis can hit some of those downfield throws like he did with what appears to be an improved wide receiver core, then they could be in a pretty good spot. The one thing that I saw that's been at Florida State's Achilles heel for a while is the offensive line. People are going to point to, well, 406 yards rushing. But if you actually look a little bit deeper, a lot of that rushing came with contact at or near the line of scrimmage, and the running backs made miraculous plays. And the protection at times was a little bit leaky. So the fact that they're giving up pressures and penetration to Duquesne is concerning we know that that group's had some injuries they've had some bad luck hopefully they can get back and play a little bit better against LSU because they're going to have to because that's a tenacious front they're going to see on Sunday night well there's no question about that but say what you will about who they beat when you haven't won a season opener since 2016 guys you know that's in your mind I mean you you can't you you got to get over that hump and so at least to that end they certainly did Still to come on College Football Live, Georgia now, of course, just a season removed from a national championship, but they face a test right out of the gate. We will look at potential pitfalls for the dogs against Oregon. And what more will we know next Monday about Notre Dame and Ohio State? A look ahead at how the Irish can slow down that Buckeyes offense. College Football Live is brought to you by Duracell. Engineered for more.
Lots of early tests for teams across college football this weekend, starting with West Virginia. Visiting number 17, Pittsburgh, the latest installment of the Backyard Brawl on Thursday at 7 Eastern. West Virginia has won three straight in this series. Then on Saturday, 3.30 Eastern on ABC, number 11, Oregon, taking on number three, Georgia. Over the last 25 years, only two defending national champions have lost their season opener, LSU in 2020, Michigan in 1998. Also at 3.30 on Saturday, number 23, Cincinnati, on the road at number 19, Arkansas. Last season, the Bearcats became the first non-Power 5 team to reach the college football playoff, while the Razorbacks got their first bowl win since 2015. At 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, number 7 Utah heads to the Swamp to face Florida. Billy Napier will be making his debut as Florida head coach. The Gators have not lost a season opener at home since 1989. And then how about this? A top five showdown in Columbus, Saturday, 7.30 Eastern, number two Ohio State, playing host to number five Notre Dame, the 11th season opening matchup between AP top five opponents. Here's Marcus Freeman on stopping or at least slowing down that high-powered Buckeyes offense. If you don't stop the run, right, they'll run it all day long. And so the ability to stop the run is most important. And then, yeah, we know they're, they're very talented in throwing the ball. Um, but it, it's the mindset. If you can't stop the run, they can throw it, they can run it, they can do whatever they want to do, and we have to be able to stop the run. Listen, Greg, easier said than done. There's no question about that. If you are Notre Dame, though, uh, any tips on how you would slow down this Buckeyes offense? Well, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd be able to play man across the board and just lock down those talented wide receivers. No problem whatsoever. Bing, bang, boom, get after the quarterback. But this isn't a perfect world, and that's an imperfect plan because trying to create favorable matchups with your defensive backs against those wide receivers is a massive problem. The only way I think you can keep this offense in check is you got to make them snap the football. You can't give up big plays. And when you look at Ohio State and when they thrive, it's almost like if they've gained five yards on a play, it's almost like they all look around in the huddle or the, the, the I guess, the proverbial huddle because they don't really huddle anymore. They all look around. They're like, that was a bad play. We all, why don't we score? So you got to make them snap the football and then hope that you play really, really well as the field condenses and you get into the red zone holding the field goals. So you can't give up the big plays. Sam, I think that's the first line of business when trying to defend this offense. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, Marcus Freeman is obviously the defensive mind to be able to get that done. And so uh, you're right, though. Ohio State thrives on big plays. You watch their offense. They thrive on these deep, deep overs or play action passes like that's where they make their hay. But I think other side is try to make it one dimensional. Marcus Freeman makes a great point. If they can run it, they can pass. it. You can't do anything. Stop the run, force them to pass it, then say, OK, we can try to play pass coverage. We can try to get off after the quarterback. Maybe we get a lead and maybe they're trying to play from behind. But if if Ohio State, which has like the number one offense last year in every category as far as total yards and, and, and points, if you can force them to be a only passing team and not let Trevion Henderson take off and go crazy, you'll have a much better chance. But if you're off balance letting them pass the ball to Smith and Jigba and then Trevion Henderson running it, you're not going to have a, a chance at all. Clearly, fellas, you got to believe this is a bend, not break situation because you're not going to stop them completely. You just want to limit the damage and uh, hope you can do the rest. But again, a tough test uh, for Notre Dame right off the bat. Also, I think you could make the same argument for the defending national champions. 
Take a look at this. Georgia uh, ranked number three by our football power index and with a 74% chance to make the playoffs. The Ducks, on the other hand, have less than a 1% chance to make the playoff. These two teams will face off Saturday for the first time since 1977. I, I don't know, though. Sam, that's a little misleading. I think there are some potential pitfalls here for Georgia. And if you would agree at all, what would they be? Well, I mean, I would start with the head coach for Oregon, Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning was the defensive coordinator for Georgia last year, and so it sounds good. Oh, he used to know the player. No, he helped design that defense. He knows the ins and outs of all, like the weak points of the defense. He knows exactly where they are. The weak points for some of the players, like Nolan Smith on the outside, he knows where he, where Nolan Smith is weak. And so that's part one. And then part two, offensively, you have a tight end like Brock Bowers, one of the best, if not the best tight end in the nation. Well, he knows how Georgia likes to game plan and of course you can watch the film but you can also say you know what I've played against these guys I know where I know where they want to go I know what they want to do and the greatest thing about it is Oregon has the talent to stop it right talk about guys like Justin Flo and Noah Sewell those are two of the best defenders in the country some teams couldn't try to stop Georgia Oregon at least has the talent to be able to do so I think the best thing that, that Oregon has working for them is that everybody's saying well they can't do it they're not going to be able to pull it off Guess what? I heard a lot of the exact same conversation last year as they were preparing to head to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes. And what they do, they went there and took care of business. Now you have an improved quarterback. We all think it's going to be Bo Nix. I don't think Bo Nix is a Heisman contender, but I think he's better than what Anthony Brown was last year. You lose a great running back, but if there's one thing that Oregon's always had is talent at running back and talent at wide receiver – I think the culture that was established by the previous regime will be easily transferable from what Mario Cristobal wanted to be to Dan Lanning. So I think the culture is very, very similar. And we're all just assuming that Georgia just plugs and plays all these defensive stars from yesteryear in recruiting. But ultimately, a lot of the guys, yeah, they played last year, but they weren't in the same role as they're going to be this year. So there will be a lot of new faces out there in the starting lineup. So I think Oregon's got a fighting chance, but they might need Georgia to make a mistake or two to keep this thing really close throughout the course of the last four quarters. Well, you know what? Also, there's that intangible of the championship hangover. I'm not suggesting Georgia has it or that it can't be guarded against. But, you know, sometimes, as you all know, that's a thing. And this will be their first game uh, since winning that trophy. So we'll see. If I'm Oregon, I don't listen. I just block it out and think I have a better chance as any. Uh, the FBI, by the way, saying 92% chance Georgia wins that game. It is a lot of football. How about this? Oregon, Georgia, just part of what we'll see on Saturday and Sunday. You can see the dogs begin their title defense on the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. That's at 3.30. Then number two, Ohio State hosting number five, Notre Dame. That game is in Columbus. It's our Saturday night game. And then it's not Notre Dame anymore. You can cap off the weekend with Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers as LSU hosts in the All-State Louisiana kickoff game. What a weekend. Here's a question. Are you making a decision if you just don't make one? That's the question for Jim Harbaugh, who's once again opting for two quarterbacks. You can hear from the Michigan head coach next. Michigan will alternate starting quarterbacks the first two weeks of the season. Up first, Cade McNamara. 
against Colorado State on September 3rd, followed by J.J. McCarthy, who steps in against Hawaii. A final decision, according to the head coach, comes after that. It's a, it's a process. It is a process. I mean, uh, for me to stay, stand up, I mean, no person, I mean, that's biblical. No person knows what the future holds. And um, it's a process and can be based on performance. You know, both, uh, both have been tremendous uh, quarterbacks. We think that, that both can, are, are capable of leading our team to a championship. So. Look, Greg, this is something that Michigan has played around with before it worked out okay. Are you comfortable with this decision for now? I'm fine with it because the guys have different skill sets. Uh, obviously, in a perfect world, you'd love for one guy to emerge. But the fact that McCarthy is a little bit more quarterback run driven with a slightly bigger arm and McNamara is very predictable, good leader, has a great understanding of how he fits into the offense. They're very different players. So I think you go with what the situation calls for. You play the guy that gives you the best chance in that specific situation, Sam. So I actually don't have a problem with the QB situation. Yeah, I have no issues either. And you look at last year, Kate McNamara started 14 games. J.J. McCarthy appeared in 11 of them. And so they already had a two-quarterback system, if you will. I love the fact they're, they're both getting to compete in actual games, not just practice in the, within themselves. This is going to be really a great test for not only these players, but the rest of the team. Well, it certainly makes it more difficult for opposing teams because, to your point, Greg, both these quarterbacks have different skill sets. You have to prepare for both. Meanwhile, you heard Brian Kelly says he knows who his starter will be, but he's not ready to tell us the good news, Greg. You're going, right? You're headed to Baton Rouge, so you'll be the first to let us all know. We can expect that coming soon as we get set for week one of college football. We will see you back here tomorrow. Thanks, everybody.